0: Not to go back to Zelda, but in another way, Zelda kind of like Nintendo Pony and Selvin. So, oh, you know, he really delve deep into.
1: Oh wow! Let's put that at the top of the episode, yeah. so we hook the video game nerds, and then lose them by calling them video game yeah. nerds.
0: <laughs> yeah, the very specific vine diagram of Pony and Selvin, Money Run the Fans, Pony and Selvin, and uh, Tears of the Kingdom. <laughs> Video game enthusiasts. <laughs> right.
2: I mean, Tears of the Kingdom kind of would work as a subtitle for part two. Oh,
0: that's true. That
1: and on
2: Tears of the Kingdom. <laughs> Royal <laughs> people doing a lot of crying. <laughs> mm-hmm. And dying. And lying. All right. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Deep Cut. <laughs> I'm Wilson Lai. I'm Benjamin Yap.
1: I'm Eli Sands. And I'm Lagudu. And you're listening to Deep Cut.
2: On Deep Cut, we compare a director's most popular film with a personal favorite chosen by one of us. We also discuss that director's life in Korea to bring context that helps us view
1: their movies as they may want us to. Before we get into our discussion on Pony and Selva in Part 2, please rate and review us because that helps us keep making the show. Be sure to subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts so you'll know when our next episode drops. And you can keep up with us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Letterboxd at deep cut pod join us to talk about movies on our discord server to which you'll find a link in the description i'm gonna put a disclaimer i just recovered from covid and that's why i sound like i'm dying Poor wilson <laughs> Poor wilson so please bear with my voice as i try to expound i don't even fucking know if that's a word my love for this new movie welcome to our second deep cut upkeep episode on Mani Ratnam, and correct me if i'm wrong but i think this is the only director that we've covered two new releases from yeah so Um, far yeah so deep cut upkeep is a continuing series that we're doing where we cover new releases from directors we've covered previously on the podcast and you can check out our episode with thamai that we released in november last year covering the first part of this epic Historical two-parter, Pony and Selvin Part One, where I guess Ben, Eli, and I were a little bit less enthused about. <laughs> and you can listen to us try to work our heads around Pony and Selvin Part One today. Money Rutnam has finally concluded his big white whale with the release of Pony and Selvin Part Two, which j- just came out earlier this month. And all four of us had the pleasure to see this in theaters. And we're just going to jump right into it. We're going to jump right into initial reactions. I'm going to let our dear guest Thamai go first. Thamai, over to you. What did you think?
0: Hey, guys. Also, thanks for having me on again. I'm happy to be here as always. And of course, talk about Money Rattan, which is what I do all the time. And I have a platform to do it. And I love, love doing it. So one thing I will say is that I think for the future, you guys need to bring me onto an episode where I'll hate whatever you're oh, because yeah. i feel like I've, I've basically liked everything like tell me the day you start doing an episode on like trey edward schultz or something i have God. many thoughts that day will be never yeah i doubt that's gonna happen so like yeah i, I liked it stronger right <laughs> um it's you know so I, I went to see it opening opening weekend i didn't see it that friday but i saw it that saturday with a couple of friends, and then with the first movie, when we talked about it last time, I I also had my reservations about the film. I, w- I had a lot of questions about certain decisions and stuff. But I think with this movie, it really kind of. So here's the thing: I, I think like I've gone past this idea of like perfect cinema or whatever that's supposed to be, right? I I, I think that like whatever something like really kind of impacts you, and maybe there are flaws, but if, if a movie gets to a place where there's so much really, like, amazing stuff that you kind of feel and you resonate with. All that stuff kind of fades away. And I, and I think Pony and Selvin, too, is one of those movies where I was just so kind of enraptured the whole time. And I just, like, understood, like, what Rutnam was going for. More mm-hmm. so, I think, in this part than the first part. Needless to say, I think this is Rutnam's best film since Robin, hands down. And I think a lot of that has to do with this kind of core tragic romance he sets up, which I feel is just so brilliant. I think what he does here... And, yeah, overall, I, I think it's amazing. I think it's brilliant. I'm not going to say it's like a masterpiece, but it is something that I think at, by the end, really thinking about certain scenes and stuff, I just like, really couldn't stop thinking about it, you know, couldn't stop thinking about certain sequences, and like large stretches of the film. So yeah, I'm a huge fan. And I again, I think this is his best film since Robin. So that's
1: awesome. Tom and honestly, well, I don't know if I should just go. I think I'm going to go because I would uh, piggyback off of your love of this film. And if you remember, I wasn't really hot on PS1. I felt like there were too many characters. I feel like the dialogue was just very expository in a way that I was not really being swept away by the emotions of it. But that really turned around in ps2 i feel like it makes sense that ps1 was all this setup and now we have these really established relationships and these really established characters and i think Rottenham is just directing at a much higher level here he is really like moving the camera extremely well his blockings just like on the moon like it's just not on this planet anymore i think like there are so many sequences in this where he's just finding really really inventive ways to show character relationships like breaking or forming it just feels like filmmaking in its like top form for him Um, and i think It's really aided by a more simple plot this time. I think Nandini becoming the real main antagonist of this and hatching a plan to kill the Cholas, the three big Cholas at the same time, I think makes it easier to follow and starting off with having the three siblings come together and then go off in their own ways is, I think, just a much better way to start a through line through the whole film. And then you have these really, really, really powerful, impactful scenes, like the Vandiet meeting Kundavai again mm-hmm. when he's blindfolded. That's just iconic. Nandini and Karikalan, that scene. We, Of course, we will just talk at length about the scene later, but I just oh, want to yeah. bring it in forward now now and also the father with mandakini and that final like fatal meeting is just like I think just th- the combination of all those scenes like honestly make this one of like Rottenham's best work I think and
0: yeah I, it's in my top five Ratnam easy I think I yeah. think after watching this I it took me a while to kind of think about where does this rank I th- this is pretty smoothly I think in my top
1: five yeah I think Mm -hmm, it's also in my top five and I saw this with another like sold out crowd and this was opening night in Hong Kong which was unfortunately a week later than everyone else's opening night but everyone was so into it I think I just felt really involved this time and I felt really attentive and I felt very emotionally moved by it and yeah what can i say i'm just such a big fan of Rottenham and his direction and yeah like sometimes he's just directing at a level that no one else comes close to okay eli
2: yeah i also saw this in the theater i saw it in imax again so i was ponying up the dough to see this on the big screen (laughs) (laughs) joke that i've had prepped for about 10 minutes uh sorry and when we talked about Pony and on 1, I had bemoaned that Rutnum's camera direction, which in other movies was very inventive and vivacious, was kind of dialed back. And I believe I even compared it to Marvel kind of pat camera style. You mm. Yeah, you did. But here, <laughs> I totally agree with Wilson that... It feels much more creative and willing to do unusual things to stage action, to show character relationships. And the cinematography, too, feels a little bit more natural. It feels like maybe the team kind of clicked a little bit better, technically, here. I likewise agree with Thanmai that the things that stick with me are a couple of really standout scenes, that the death of Mandakini in particular, and that climax with Adita and Nandini as well, those are really remarkable scenes. I will say that a couple of the biggest moments to me were actually things that later turned out to not be what happened, specifically when Bantia Tevan is knocked unconscious in the climax. I thought he was killed, and that moment got the biggest reaction out of me because he's our audience surrogate character, Mm. and he's very charming. And I was like, no, they killed him. But then he gets up a moment later, and I was kind of confused. So to that point, (laughs) I think that even though the plot is simplified, it does sometimes get in its way with explanation that holds it back from the emotional highs that it achieves elsewhere but to than point those emotional highs are really convincing and very involving and just more creatively staged and blocked Mm -hmm. especially camera blocking yeah Mm -hmm. so i enjoyed it i'm with you wilson that like i
3: think the setup in part one allows part two to work much better because you already Mm. know the relationships and it's easy to keep track of what's going on because you don't need to learn how everyone fits together Mm -hmm. in a similar way to like tv i guess where like you go into an episode without having to understand how the characters relate to each other Mm. and i think part two has an advantage but whereas part one had the burden of having to teach you all the characters and all the relationships which was a big ask for a movie of this size and a story of this size And I think that's one of the main reasons why part two is able to be, I think, markedly better for me than part one, because it is able to go right into payoffs. And I was much less confused also because I read a lot of articles before going in to like, make sure I knew what was going on. And like, it was way less confusing, (laughs) but I also think that the story was also simplified in that sense that you were talking about Wilson. We're like, It's simple what has to happen and who the villain is and what the plot is, Mm -hmm. like the villain's plot Mm -hmm. is, and what has to be done to stop it. And then each of the three siblings, the protagonists, you know what they're doing in each part of their story after they meet up and then they like split up again. Um, And yeah, I think the direction is really good in some of these scenes. Like I think the scenes you pointed out are exactly the scenes I'm thinking about as well, Wilson, uh, that are like stick in my mind. However, I still think there needs to be like three more movies for this to like really work. (laughs) I did think about that yeah like i think it still feels a little overstuffed wanting to do all the things that happens in the novel or like try to cover as much story as possible and because of that there is a feeling that it rushes through certain parts of the story and like i wish there was just more time to breathe and like certain plot lines feel a little bit underserved because of the speed at which you are going through all the different journeys I think chief among them might be Kundavai's journey feels a little bit truncated. I think about Mm -hmm. how she learns about Nandini's past by first talking to her dad and then it's like, oh, she's my sister. And then you could have held on to that kind of belief and then gone into like something else. But then like immediately after it's like, oh, she's not your sister. Like immediate scene after that reveal is unrevealed and then a new reveal, which tells you the truth, which felt like a very strange way of giving a twist it was like here's a twist mm. but that mm. twist is wrong here's the actual twist and i was like okay then maybe just cut the first part so like i found like parts of that like kind of strangely structured from a general standpoint and like that's a scene where it's like still a lot of exposition through speaking that was a bit less interesting and could have such a highlight i felt for ps1 that i felt a little bit disappointed in like she didn't really get to do as much in ps2 uh right. which felt like a shame I think Vikram's Kirk Collin, he had a few big scenes in part one, but I think in part two, like he really like stuck out to me as like being such an incredible actor. Totally. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Brilliant. He's amazing.
3: Yeah. And like the scenes that he's in, he really is really good in those scenes, like almost to a point of like overshadowing like the other actors in those scenes. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Like kind of ridiculous.
0: And here's the thing, Ben. Yeah. Vikram is the second best performance in the movie, right? And he's giving his career best performance. And the number one, you know, obviously, in my opinion, is, is Aishwarya Rai Bachchan, right? <laughs> right. Which we'll get into, but still.
3: I disagree, but I think Aishwarya Rai is also really good. Okay. It's, yeah. Like, I really was quite blown yeah. away by Vikram's performance. I don't really have a good reason why or like why I rank it that way, but it's just kind of like how I feel about it. But I think there's just something very compelling about the way that he plays anger and he plays that kind of duality of kirk and like how he's angry but also like almost resigned to his death from like the first yeah (laughs) oh god he's
2: like a kendall roy (laughs) you know what really helps in part two that i kind of wish had been in part one is the whole opening that shows the past between adita and nandini yes exactly yes oh the flashback is so good it's amazing It's essential emotional information that informs those performances later on. And I believe in your letterbox review, Thanmai, you wrote that this one really congeals around that tragic romance between Adita and Nandini as the core of the movie structurally. And I totally agree. I think it's a great organizing principle. And again, that flashback opening is essential to imbue those performances with massive scale fate yeah. and star crossedness. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder. Like if
3: that flashback was the opening of PS1. I wonder. Right. Like I feel like I would have understood PS1 way more. Because I think I was a bit confused in PS1 about the relationships and like what is important here. What is important in Car Colin. Yep. Right? Yeah. Right. But with that flashback in PS2, I was like, oh I, I freaking get it now. Like now I understand what's going on. Yes. Yeah. But it's also Par for the course for Money Ratnam because he likes to do these like middle of the story flashback, right? Mm, of course, like I remember in Kanatil Mutamital, like the flashback informs what is going on. You're a little confused, and then the flashback crystallizes information so that you understand. Oh, this is the game. And I know he likes to do that. And in a way, the flashback being the start of PS2 is the middle point of the story, right? So mm-hmm. yeah. it makes sense that way. Yeah. But I do wonder, like, if it had been the opening, would it have improved the experience for me for PS1? Yeah, And then, like, throughout PS2 as well.
0: And Ruckman doesn't only... Li- like, it's not just a delayed flashback, but it's also this thing where he adds this essential emotional information that clarifies stuff from before, sure. right? Mm-hmm. Where, yeah. where when you catch it on the rewatch, you're able to be like, oh, that's that's why, right? So. Like, when you watch that, and, you know, I, I I kind of think that opening flashback in PS2 is largely from Nandini's perspective, and I think he mm. tries to kind of structure it around her subjectivity, which I think is not immediately obvious, but I think there's a lot of, like, specific things in there that kind of indicate you to kind of think that way, because you get similar images from that flashback in that kind of, like, interval sequence of PS1, but everything is kind of filtered through Kyrie Collin's subjectivity, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, you know, where... You know, for example, like, there are shots that are not even in the same scene that are kind of put together the way that, like, you would remember something, right? In his madness, Mm -hmm. in his kind of state. But then you get the opening where you see it largely from Nandini's perspective, right? Like, for example, when the young Kalan goes off to war, you don't go off with him to war. You stay with Nandini in the temple, right? While she waits Mm -hmm. for two years, right? And this starts, I think, an interesting thing in the rest of the film where it's like, Rutnam doesn't just want Nandini to just be like a villainess, right? He wants her to be somebody who's like incredibly well rounded. She's like the Rutnam hero that's kind of has her own motivations, but he gives her a level of empathy. I think, right? I think that's like the Definitely. goal with that with that flashback, mm-hmm. and I mean to the point where I think it clarifies information. You start to see like that scene in PS One where Kundavai and Nandini have their big face off in the in the palace. You start to yeah. understand why Nandini has that bad blood with with Kundavai, right? Like yeah, when she was course. young. She treated her like a king or like a princess would treat someone else like this, like royals. Like a toy. Like a toy, Mm -hmm. right? And Rutnam loves to do this stuff where you see a scene and you don't know exactly what to make of it in the moment. Or there's maybe some kind of base level kind of involvement. And then he deepens that with information that he reveals later. Uh, It's up to you, the viewer, to figure that out, right? Right.
2: To me, that makes me think of one of the classic principles of melodrama, right? Which is the concept of too late or if only right we could have changed this sooner and learning important emotional information later on gives mm-hmm. me as the audience a very helpless feeling of oh but i didn't understand like if i had understood then i might have rooted differently um yeah. which ultimately doesn't change the plot but it gives you a feeling of regret about how you identified with a character or related to a character earlier on, and now you feel this after-the-fact kind of longing to have understood and felt this thing fully that now is tinged with that kind of regret, and you're perhaps that much more invested because of it. Did that make any sense?
1: No, it makes sense. No, that made a lot of sense. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah,
2: definitely. I think it's just tough for me
3: because I still think of, like, when I think about the way that we experience film being, like, a linear time kind of thing, Mm. and I get that you can put things together in your head, even as you're watching, but also, like, after the film, to, like, understand things, Mm -hmm. but I think because film is such a immediate experiential medium that, like, it really depends on the way that you structure that delayed flashback, but sometimes, like, without that information, I do feel like it was too confusing in PS1, where, like... There was mm-hmm. a murkiness to the motivations of the characters without that yeah. essential emotional information.
1: Yeah, Nandini was definitely like more enigmatic. Like she's just you—you you can't read her.
3: It was more confusing for me. I think like I was like okay, she's the villain, but like I don't know what her deal is
2: throughout ps1 also the thing that makes that a harder sell is that we're not just spending time getting to know the characters personalities in a kind of low key or casual way but there's a lot of plot movement and a lot of big decisions being made and because we don't know the emotional information that feeds into those decisions it feeds into that feeling of feeling of moving at a rushed pace Mm. because we don't have an emotional understanding of why
1: those decisions are being made until later in the story. Right. And I also do think that it's maybe Ratnam himself having to contend with what he's interested in the story and what Mm -hmm. like Kalki has written in the source material. And I feel like there's a struggle there when trying to translate, especially a novel of this breadth to yeah, Like, just film. Like, that's why some novels are just, like, meant to just be novels. And it's just hard mm-hmm. to translate to film. But I think Ranam is very clear that he thinks that the Nandini-Karikalan relationship is the heart of this film. But, like, even that gets resolved in PS2, like, maybe a good 30 minutes before the end of the movie. And the actual conclusion to the film is sort of just presented as not not a dud but i'm like <laughs> like we've already reached the emotional climax of yeah. this like but i'm sure like when kalki was writing this he's like oh my god let's just play political intrigue for, like chapters upon chapters hmm.
0: yeah and a largely why i think ps2 works at least for somebody who like is really interested in money ratnam's filmography is that you start to see those ratnam preoccupations and those things that he mm. has had since the beginning of his career right like that's the stuff that you can sink your teeth into that you're like oh mm. right like of course he focuses on the doomed romance like totally right like um <laughs> it's <laughs> it makes sense you know and and yeah. I think like in a lot of ways that scene feels like the thematic kind of climax and conclusion to the film right in, in a way where you know I don't know if Rutnam is necessarily like consciously like I want to pay more attention to this than this but I think it just sort of happened in the way he sort of put it together, right? And I'm sure he wasn't consciously being like, this is the one that I really want to focus on. I just think he was able to kind of get a lot out of this particular interest that he had. And kind of similar things that he's kind of followed through his filmography. I think that's what makes this part so much more emotionally involving. And just like, you know, I think like so much more to dig into for like people who are interested in Ratnam as a filmmaker, right? And not just fans of the book, right? Like, mm-hmm. that's the, you know what I mean? It, I feel like PS1 is an introduction to Kalki's world with kind of the craftsmanship of Rucknam, right? Mm-hmm. But this is Money Rucknam's Pony and Seldon, right? PS2, right? yeah, right? Um, and that, that's kind of the way that I see it. And like you said, Wilson, I think I understand kind of what he was trying to do with those last sort of 20 minutes or so. But a lot of that feels very inconsequential or sort of yeah, like he had cool. to put it or... Or whatever, you know.
1: Wait, can we clear the air? Why did Pony and just give out? Like, can we just think well, talk I get, about that? I get it.
2: It's a noble act of yeah. I don't need the crown right now. There's someone more senior who is in line and rightfully deserves this. Okay. It's a noble gesture that's made to get us to root for Pony and But when it happened and he gave the crown to the other person, my reaction was who? <laughs> <laughs> I mean,
3: the whole point is that Arumori is such a noble person that he is not hungry for power, right? Yeah. And Damn. the whole story of, of PS in general is that Raja Raja Chola is one of the best kings of all time, right? <laughs> He's like the goat. So I think this is one of the ways to, like, show him to be the goat. And then, like, I think that article that you shared, my about the things that were left out <clears> from Ratnam's movies is that the person that he crowns is not the person that he crowns in the movie, right? And... It's just kind of like funny because when he crowns the villain of the story who is trying to assert power from the Cholas, it's a very odd thing that happens in the story. Whereas in the book, he crowns somebody who takes on the same name as that character, who is not that character. So it's not so weird that. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And actually the person he crowns is a flower seller who is secretly. Oh, that's better. Why didn't they do that? Yeah. So, but there's no time. There's no time. But it would have been just like ten more scenes to to add. That's ten to more movies to <laughs> so make more movies. I'm here for it. If you didn't read the article, the flower seller is the true king, and then he marries the boat girl. Yeah, Pungujali. So she becomes queen. <laughs> That's like a whole thing.
1: I love that. I I wanted more from her. I like. Yeah, I just me liked too.
2: Wanted more from both of them. They're so good. Yeah. They're great characters, and as is, it feels like their presence is a little vestigial. Like, it's a salute to the characters, but they don't factor into the climax in any sense.
3: Yeah. They're like fan servicey seeds. But there's just no time.
0: I think it was probably his way to kind of keep everything a little yeah dialed down and coherent, right? Like, in the sense that, like, you know, this is a character that you kind of understand what his motivations are, what he wants to do. And you can kind of bounce off that Pony and Sylvan is noble and he sees the capacity for change in him and wants to honor that and whatever, right? Like, I think maybe Ratham's intention was to kind of dial it down, right? Not just be like, yeah. we're going to give it to, you know, Sand with him, who's like, we've gotten two scenes with him or whatever, you know? I, I think like that was the intention behind it, whether or not it lands is like, you know, up to discretion, but
1: Yeah. And you can sort of see him dialing back on the evil on Manduran in yeah. this film because he's like, "Oh, I'm just taken along for the ride, and everyone else is doing the scheming, and <laughs> you're just going to promise me king at the end, right?" And everyone's like, "Yeah, but he was fully bad in the first movie, yeah."
3: Yeah, but I mean, like, he, they put him in the war, the fight so that he gets to, like, be a hero. So then it feels yeah. like, you know, he actually is on the side of the Trollers and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So I think they do enough to, like, make it make some sense. Like, yeah, make it make sense, actually. It does make sense. And it's a good truncation of the story where it's not <laughs> super confusing.
2: <laughs> Eli's still, like, who is this man? <laughs> no, right now I'm thinking about how... So I think Wilson said that the resolution of the Adeta, Karikalan, and Nandini relationship happens like 30 minutes before the end of the movie. The battle feels a little bit obligatory, and the reasoning for it feels somewhat threadbare. Mm -hmm. It's cool that we have a battle, and I see how it makes Madarantaka come off as more noble, ultimately, but... They could have just given Vantya Tevan a chance to explain. (laughs) Not to poke plot holes, but... Let's talk about the death of
3: Kerry Collin. Because that's really what triggers the war, right? Yes. Yes, I think that's the scene that we
2: need to talk about. We do need to talk about... Oh, my God. I'm actually going to propose... Yeah, sorry, go. (laughs) Well, now I want to hear what that was about. No, I'm just thinking about the scene. (laughs) We could build up to it. Really tease our listeners by talking
1: about... Talking about other scenes first. Mandakini's death first. Mandakini's death first. We can just talk about it now. (laughs) Yeah, okay, let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. Oh my god. Him begging her to fucking kill him is like, oh my fucking god. It's just like like gut-wrenching. Like I just felt... Everything that Vikram was giving to me in that scene, it was incredible, and the way the camera just circles around them mm-hmm. and the fires raging behind them and it's like Ronam I said this in my review of his very, very early work, Gitanjali, that I saw before p s two but I'm like Ratnam is, like, the only director that I know that, like, uses natural forces in just such a mm. visceral kind of way to reflect emotions going on, on with the characters in the scene. And, like, this scene with the fire raging in the background is, yeah. like, th- the prime example of this in this film. And it's just one of his calling cards, and he just does it so well. And it's, like, it's... You can count that as, like, one of... Like you have editing, cinematography, mm. like directing, and also natural forces as part of <laughs> Money Ratnam's like roster of things that he uses. But it, it's just so incredible this scene, and both their acting and both their faces in this scene is absolutely devastating. It's just yeah it's the best it's really really one of the best scenes that he's ever done
0: yeah when I when I watched the movie the first time I I I started crying I was like this is I don't know why there was something so kind of emotionally explosive about the the scene it's it's so just the way he decides to block the characters and like the, the sword and all these things and like what they're saying you know like what Vikram's just like total like just like desire to not live anymore is <laughs> so is just so sorry i'm laughing but it's like it's like because this is like this is like what rutland does best right is this type of scene it's like where all the tension's been building up and it kind of explodes in a way that you don't necessarily fully think that's how it's going to happen but he's able to really just like bring the viewer through those like 10 odd minutes that it is right it's like it's it's brilliant. It's, it's it's you know, the, the way he stages it, the way there's, like, different layers of action, right? And, you know, you have that centerpiece and then you have people behind and then the the shot choices, like that incredible two-shot that he just stays on with their two close-ups where they're just talking to each other is just like, you know, what filmmaker would do that? You know, just to let hmm. the performances breathe and you, you're so close to them, right? Um, yeah, it's brilliant. It's one of his best scenes, I think. It's like top five Rethlum scenes, I think. It's next level. It's it's like what he does best in its most crystallized form. And my theory about the scene is that it's a reworking of the Dilsay climax. Yes, I'm thinking about that as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it feels like a scene where an, an immovable force meets an uh, unstoppable force, whatever it is. Yeah.
3: Unstoppable mm-hmm. force meets an
0: immovable object, right? It's very much like two characters who are broken by the systems that they're in, right? Or one of them being like, complicit in the cruelty of like the chola kingdom or whatever right and again like this is kind of strict of the kind of the specific ideological stuff that Dilse has but i think in its general construction it's just a, it's kind of a reworking of that climax right and in, mm-hmm. in the way that they are just totally irreconcilable as people right and they're not able to but there's also mm. this like something underneath right where there's 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 this like what if You could live together and be together, but it it can't happen and it won't happen, right? And, Mm -hmm. you know, and and my theory about that scene, too, is, like, it's a scene where, yeah, Aditya Karikalan dies, but Nandini also dies in that scene, too. Yeah. Yeah. You know, in a way where what she does has broken her, right? To the point where she's a corpse in the next scene, right? She's laying, like, she can't do anything. Like, like she's so imposing and so powerful, and then you see that scene when she's in the, the bridge. It's, like, an antithesis of everything that she's been, right? And that mm-hmm. she's projected herself as, right? And I think Ratham has really took the grammar of that climax from Dilse and I think made it... Can I say he, like, made it... I'm not going to say he made it better, but I'm going to say I think mm-hmm. he he kind of, like, used that as a, as a as a kind of a framework for the visual language he uses, and I think it just yeah. works so well.
2: To me, the most special aspect of the scene touches on your point Thanmai, about the two shots of vikram and aishwarya rai bachan which is that it feels like they've been sharing scenes together for the previous five odd hours of runtime but this is really their first scene where they're sharing actual frames together even the Mm -hmm. murder of nandini's king slash later she learns father they're mostly in shot reverse shot you know Mm -hmm. think of that big imposing shot where Vikram is busting down the door yeah (laughs) and Nandini's begging him to spare the king's life and the blood goes on the sheet opposite her which is an incredible shot this is really the first time in the story's runtime where they're in the same frames and the chemistry is off the charts Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's so compelling to watch them together and think of how long we the audience have been held away from their union even yeah. though this is the most tense moment of their relationship and the one that ultimately leads to their literal and figurative deaths mm-hmm. they're together and there's some kind of catharsis in that yeah. it's yeah. it's very contradictory and compelling to watch and speaks to that same impossibility that you're labeling than my, I think the interesting thing about
3: the way that the scene plays out, the way that it reworks, I guess, the Dilsey scene, is that the Dilsey scene is about one person yeah. wants the other, the other person does not want it. And I don't really think you can see it as a relenting on the side of the female character in Dilsey. But I think in this one, it's like a... The death is kind of a weird expression of love. Mm. And mm. so, like, even yeah. though it is... Tragic for Karikalan, but I think for him, this is the best ending that he will get for himself. Mm-hmm. And Nandini yeah. doesn't want this, obviously, but like it also feels inevitable. So, like, there's something really strange about the tenor of the scene where the death of a big character in the thing and there is the tension, but this feels really romantic. And I think for mm-hmm. Karikalan, yeah. this is romantic, oh, right? Yeah. Because this is the only way for him to end this where like he is able to atone for the sins that he has committed. So, yeah. I think. Something about that really makes the kind of scene he really interesting and surprising because I expected it to be a scene about Curry Cullen's anger, but he's like laid back and he's like, I'm ready to die. And like, I think that is just a really interesting direction for the emotional stakes for the two characters and for how the actors play out the scene, right? Like, Nandini, instead of being somebody who would have to say, defend against an aggressive character is actually pleading for him to not do this and then it's just interesting right and like novel and of course it's like one of the most famous scenes in in the book right Mm -hmm. uh and i think i think random does such a great job in like making it his own and like in his kind of style and like in the kind of emotions that he likes to play with
2: it is really fascinating to think about who's actually in charge of this decision here yeah Yeah. like if you go to adita killing Nandini's king that's him enacting violence with his own blade if we want to get Freudian you know his his phallic object (laughs) and then later on it's his knife that he is begging Nandini to use to impale him and turn that again phallus driven violence back on himself and is it her decision is he kind of goading her into it it's very thorny to pick apart yeah. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it, of course it solves nothing like it it ruins yeah. both of them even though it is the poetic ending for both of yeah. them it's an interesting choice for
3: Ratnam because I was reading about this scene in the book and how it's famous for being a scene in which no one knows who kills Collin. Mm. like he doesn't tell oh. you who kills him
0: yeah yeah. there's a mystery it's all a mystery of who killed Karakalan yeah
3: it's the biggest mystery of, of the book. Yeah. So like uh, the way it works is that there's a lot of people in this room. There's just a lot of people in this room. So you have Vandir and You have the guy that knocks him out. And then you have Nandini. You have, I think there's like two other characters in there who are not introduced in the story. And essentially, hmm. I think like the lights come on and Kirkham is dead. Whoa. Yeah. Oh. And everyone's like, who did? And that's why that guy after is like, oh, Vandir Tevin did it. Because that's the oh. confusion. Like
0: no one yeah. knows who
3: did oh. it. So Ratnam was really taking some liberties. Oh, 100%. Yeah. I think from a storytelling perspective, there's a pro and con to it. The pro is obviously that he gets to do what he wants to do. Icon. In the way that he wants to do it. (laughs) But then the con is that from the grandest scheme of things, like the confusion of who killed him is less confusing for the viewer. And it's harder to understand this guy that's like, oh, I'm going to go to war now. Like, he did it. Right? Yeah. And I think... You lose a bit of that sense of the grander story. And then that's why the rest of it feels
1: a bit like strange. Oh, mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: I see. It's half committing to the change.
1: Yeah. But okay. But this really feels like what you said, my It's money Ratnam's is funny and so bad, Not yet. Yeah. It's yeah, funny yeah. and so
0: bad. 100%. 100%. Like he can't pass this up, right? It's the toxic romance. He has to kind of lean into it. It's he's explored it before, and I don't think he's going to stop anytime soon. You know, like. <laughs> I think that he tries to do that, keep some of that mystery. But, but again, I think that some of that doesn't land because it's not really a mystery. Like the audience knows that it's an undity, but, but could you imagine if he didn't do that scene? Like, let's, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, like it it would just kind of, maybe it might make the people who like the book happy, but I don't think that's particularly novel cinema, right? I don't, you know what I mean? It's
2: (laughs) novel cinema.
0: (laughs) Yes. 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 Yeah, I could talk about so many things, like the way, you know, even just the choice of like when he like goes to the lamps and turns them off and like yeah. it happens oh, in the dark, where, where Nantani, where he's like, is it easier if you don't see me? And it, you know, cause Nantani's always weaponized her beauty, right? And then it really strips her of her strength, right? It's just kind of this like specific blocking decision that adds another layer to it, right? And, and, you know, and, and the thing that I was thinking about too is like, you know, there's a dialogue that Curry Collins says, which is, happiness and peace elude those who hate themselves. Uh, he says that to Nandini. And I I think it gets to, like, the core of, like, what's what I love about this movie so much is that a lot of Ruttum cinema is about looking into people, right? And, like, you know, we've covered, like, other Indian filmmakers, you know, like Rajamuli or whatever. Like, usually with him, it's, like, you look up to them. You look up to your protagonist, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but with Ruttum, there's something there where it's, like, there's always like an it's like you, you don't really see Cary Collin for his valor throughout these two movies. You see no. him for his pain, right? You you look into him and you you try to understand who he is, and and that's like that's a real gamble in your two part epic, right? It's it's yeah. brave, it's bold, it's it's something that a lesser filmmaker wouldn't think of doing, right? It's like it's it's because because is somebody, and we know this is somebody who like challenges his viewers, right? And, and yeah, like and sometimes yeah. that doesn't sometimes maybe that doesn't result in the best kind of audience audience satisfaction but i think it's it's necessary in like the popular format is i respect whenever a filmmaker is able to challenge your viewer and not just yeah. give them a whatever like a scene of of valor or whatever when they break these people down into their bare elements and then shows you what these bare elements are and then what happens when they coincide right and yeah i think i think it's like it's it's a brave scene to do especially in the kind of subversion of the novel too it's like yeah it's why I respect him so much. It's why I think he's, like... He's he's the GOAT. He's, like, goat, you know? <laughs> you know, like, yeah. it's, it's like...
1: Up with the song. Yeah, exactly. I feel like Rajamouli and Ratnam could not be, like, farther from each other in filmmaking. <laughs> yeah. Like, totally. in it, what interests them in filmmaking. It's crazy when people try to pit them... Well, yeah, okay, yes. There are people that try to pit them against each other, but they're both operating in wildly different spheres. Yeah. And...
0: Yeah, I have like,
1: varying different Roger concerns. Rajamuli's about
0: physical battlefields and Ratnam's about emotional battlefields, right? Like, that's his mm-hmm. whole, like, like why is it that the scenes of people talking to each other invest us more than the actual action sequences? In yeah. us? I mean, not to say yeah. that they aren't, they aren't good. I mean, I think they're fine, but it's like the stuff that really grabs us is like this scene, like, what are we talking about? We're talking about the Mundakini death scene. We're talking about the Kari Kalan scene, like scenes that are just, People talking, but he blocks and yeah. kind of puts it together in such an, an engaging way, right And I think that's like one of the hallmarks of why he's such a brilliant filmmaker, I think, in my humble opinion. So I think like yeah. the fact
3: that the film is kind of like almost marketed as an action movie is a bit of a disservice to it because those are maybe mm-hmm. the least interesting scenes, and the mm-hmm. most interesting scenes are the scenes of people talking. and I would say that like this subversion of a novel, like a lesser filmmaker would have tried to adhere as much as possible to the novel, and I think that compromise. It's a thing that Ratnam doesn't do. And yes, I do say that there are some cons to subverting the novel in this way, but you have to take some hits to, chorus, to make the hits. Yeah. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So, mm. Ooh, put that on a t-shirt. I think because he knows, okay, I, need, I need to give up a little bit of something so that I can do this thing really, really well. And if you kind of just split the difference, then you end up with mid, right? And so he <laughs> makes those choices. And when you know that, then there's a choice. There is a choice. It's not a choice of compromise, it's a choice to make, to elevate a scene or to elevate a portion or a point of the story. And I think that's the thing that Ranam does, you know, like he goes for it. He goes for broke and like sometimes it might not be the best plan on paper, but like at least maybe that scene works, you know, for the one movie. I don't know, but I think you see that. And so you see that he makes a choice and the fact that he's working in a blockbuster mode as well and doing that is impressive. (gasps) Everyone's spitting bars.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Hippie slogans abound, my dude.
0: I mean, that's why my number for this movie is so high. It's like, you know, it's not a perfect film, and I don't think Rutnam is interested in perfect films anymore, right? You know, in his career, he's open to the imperfection of it. Like, you know, when he, you know, in this interview he was giving, he was talking about how the visual language, he wanted it to be intentionally imperfect, right? Hmm. Um, So Hmm. I don't think he's going after the perfect cinema anymore right it's it's about like what he can achieve from moment to moment you know sometimes Mm -hmm. and I mean I guess that's why I like I don't know I gave this movie five stars because it's like to me it's like yeah it has its flaws and you know I can acknowledge them but there are so many sequences and stretches in this film that are so like that wouldn't have been done you know that that we wouldn't be able to see had it not been money about them wanting to make this film you know what I mean it's Mm -hmm. it's There's just so much incredible filmmaking that I'm just like, yeah, fuck it, five stars, (laughs) you know. (laughs) You know, it's just one of those things. I mean, that's the best
3: five stars. Those are the best five stars. Yeah. I want to talk about the uh, like one shot, and I don't really know whether it's just me going crazy, but like he does these really close like three shots and two shots, (gasps) and when you know the the siblings meet in the temple. Yeah, what
1: that? shot.
0: the
3: succession, succession shot. shot. <laughs> oh, is that what we're calling it? I don't remember, but <laughs> succession,
0: <laughs> anyway. also known as Pony and Selvin New York edition. <laughs> but
3: uh, <laughs> I like I, I was like wondering how do you do this shot because they're all in focus, but like it looks really shallow.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: I was very confused. I was like looking. I was like, how do you do this from a technical level? What's how does this lens work? Does this lens disobeying physics right now because like (laughs) it looks so shallow but everyone's like in a different plane but is in focus I feel like they're doing something it's such
1: an incredible shot yeah and they're all in close up and the way they're all like they're off their faces are in frame and I love that it's just one shot right it's just one take and then
3: they're just talking Mm -hmm. and it's just like actors acting
0: and the blocking in the scene too it's like when they're embracing and then when uh and then i think adita says he's going to go to karimbor both the siblings go to one side and then adita's on the other side it's like the specifics of blocking within the kind of the static shot itself is so like it's it's brilliant it's great
1: yeah oh my god and that whole section in the buddhist temple i think just looks gorgeous very 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 great camera work from Ravi Varman and Random.
0: Um. maybe to get into like the the camera work in this like Eli I think you mentioned something about you feeling that the visual language is a little more crystallized or the film looks a little better now I was wondering if you could expand on that like what what did you kind of mean by that yeah
2: yeah I think in particular the use of natural light feels more natural I remember it feeling a little bit plasticky at times in the first movie mm-hmm. there are still some shots that have fake fire torches and I know that there were more of them in the first movie and that really stuck out to me as something that felt cheapening and there are still some here but they're fewer. Maybe if I looked back it wouldn't be so significant of a difference but I remember just thinking that the light felt more organic this time Mm. around in particular. That's less on camera blocking than cinematography and gaffing i suppose
0: i also think that Robbie woman took it up a notch here i think not just not just for like kind of specific stuff like that but i also think because of the emotional drive that this part yeah. has right yeah I think there's yeah. a lot more to kind of motivate the camera work here right yeah. it's yep you know like ben was talking about the siblings reuniting and how that feeling like relief and you know kind of getting that moment of intimacy with the three of them mm-hmm. and you know and just like even just like the um that one shot where Sundar Chola is talking about Mandakini, and then you have that overhead that starts to turn. Um, mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, that is a callback to, I don't know, Wilson, maybe you noticed this, but that's a callback to the shot in Iruvar, mm. where Prakash Raj is in that movie, yeah. where in there, I think the context is a little different, where he's kind of waxing poetic about like romance and stuff. And then here, Radham uses a similar shot, but I think towards another goal, right? Towards regret and... Communicating like the sins of the father and like how they passed down and like yeah. you know that type of stuff, and I think that there's a lot more emotional drive
2: mm-hmm.
0: motivating the the camera yeah. work here, even just like those like close ups of, of Mandakini's death in the Mandakini death oh. scenes you know mm. they're so they're so pristine and they're they're so intimate, but they're also so yeah, there's just more going on, I think on the emotional level that just like automatically lifts up the language
1: it's so great that. Ratnam is able to set that Sundra Chola and Mandakini thing basically in this film and then pay it off so emotionally like punchy just within this one part. And like prime example of melodrama just too late kind of (laughs) moment like hitting you in the fucking guts. And I think that scene is incredible like the way he sets up the three different parties in this scene right you have sundra chola you have mandakini and you have the people that are trying to kill sundra chola and how they all slowly come together and those those curtains blowing in the wind wind oh another one wind (laughs) um and it's ah uh, my god and just that moment where you realize she's the one that's getting shot is uh, it, it really just everyone like stopped breathing in my theater it was yeah just incredible
0: yeah it's just the general blocking of that scene and just like the the close-ups through the kind of the 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 cloth and and then like kind of Sundar Chola trying to figure out who it is and then he realizes it's the person he was just talking about and it's you know it, it's another thing too. It's like Mandakini died out of love, and then and then Nandini did she meet the same fate? I I don't know. Mm-hmm. I I think you know it's interesting, like mother and daughter too, right? It's like Mandakini did sacrifice herself out of love, right? But Nandini was just driven by anger, right? Or, mm-hmm. or, or but then there's also I think a case to be made that it this is also like where love can take you, right? And you know it's interesting, yeah. right? Like you know, the thing with the thing what's so interesting about this is like there are three different scenes of women holding swords threatening men but they all have they're also vastly different right (laughs) Uh,
1: (laughs) you know the kundavai one is
0: so good as well i love that one yeah
1: that's a great scene
0: that one is just like playful romance that's so sexy as
1: well fuck (laughs) yeah
0: (laughs) yeah it's it's so it's great i mean i mean that's like the testament to like what brettan can do like he can take like these basic elements of like, oh, I'm going to point a sword at this person, but towards totally different ends, right? And towards totally different effects and and block it and stage it in such diversely different ways. Yeah, that scene with Kundavaya and Mandiya is like, is great. I was just like, it's like creating tension, but it's also like a sexy tension.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> so, yeah.
1: Sexy tension. Uh-huh.
3: Oh. It's another scene with a phallic object. Yeah, it is. <laughs> where he Freud? Where slowly are you? puts his hands and like gets closer to the shaft of the sword. It's there.
2: It's right there. <laughs> yeah, but you could argue that that's like a very, in a Freudian sense, like male form of violence that women are being forced into because of how tense things are and how crumbly the men are acting. I don't know. Maybe we don't need to dig too far into that (laughs) Freud territory, but I think it is there. Uh, uh, Never mind. (laughs) Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. (laughs) Maybe. 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 I'll back away from
1: that one. Let's put it as a theory for now. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And even in, like, I feel like the small moments, right, like those small scenes, like when... Vandita even gets captured and then Nandini's like looking at him from above and she's having that conversation as she like circles around him and the camera sort of turns as she turns and turns oh, yeah. with him as I think it's just really, really simple, small things that he does with the camera here that I'm like, yeah. like you deserve to be called one of the best filmmakers in the world because
0: yeah, the way he uses direct POV in this is like super yeah. interesting. Like that scene also even just like the beginning of the Karikala Nandini scene where kari khan kind of looks at her through the kind of the aperture of the the wall mm-hmm. and you know oh, you yeah. get this and it's these shots of her being just like ethereal you see it through his eyes right it's like the light and everything is making her look so beautiful and you really get into that headspace right so immediately yeah. with with these like direct POV stuff
1: yeah and honestly like i'm sort of happy that raman is doing more like background scoring here as opposed to ps1 where there was like really set musical numbers that sort of just took me out yeah. a little bit more That's a good point which is sort of sucky to say because i sort of think that his musical numbers usually add so much but him choosing to maybe not take a step back but to like score a lot more in this was honestly a really really good choice and just like allowed Rutnam's like direction and like the story flow to just keep on going a lot a lot smoother for me personally
0: yeah I agree I think even just like the I know you were talking about Wilson last time that it felt like in Cekatibantavanam he was using the songs as score right
1: effectively Mm -hmm.
0: Um, and I think he brings that back here right where you know like the first three songs play in that opening in the opening flashback right yeah. um you know and, and it feels like they add so much right
1: they do uh, really vira
0: raja plays when he's going off to war right and and then mm-hmm. and then the chin nilove which is like the not reprise version that plays during the confrontation scene but like the actual love song that plays between them like plays there and then you get the reprise later when you know mm-hmm. when 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 the stab happens which is like a great kind of use of background music right mm-hmm. um and how to kind of It's like, it's like just how you use music to just like twist and kind of change like what they're, where things have gone. Right. Um, Um, Yeah. Again, I, I really do need to spend more time with the film because sometimes I like talk about it and I'm like, but there's like more and you know, that I feel like hasn't fully kind of registered with me sometimes. Uh, And maybe that's just like, whatever, like the function of like talking about a new release where like people are still trying to process everything. Um, But yeah, I think the music in this is, is really, really good.
2: Is there anything in particular, thanmai that you're going to look for on your next
0: rewatch? I don't know. I think it's just to pay attention to the smaller moments. And hmm. sometimes, like, I think when I watch, especially with the two PS films, there's, like, the watch where you pay attention to, like, the visual language and then the watch where you pay attention to the dialogues. At least for me, because I'm not a native thummel speaker, so I rely on the subtitles. So I think the next time I watch it, it might just be, like, a... An all-encompassing thing where it's like, you know, I'll pay a little more attention to what they're saying, you know, Mm -hmm. and maybe like pay attention to the smaller moments. Because I I remember like I saw the movie two different times already. And then the second time I noticed that, like, I mean, I know we kind of talked about like Rutnam's action scenes not really being kind of what he's focused on. But I got to say, I think the interval sequence in this is really good. Like, I think that's a really solid set piece. And I think the second time I watched it, I was really paying attention to the way he kind of cuts between the different lines of action and and how he kind of blocks that whole scene out. And I think it's like, the thing is like, he's not staging because like y- you see the approach that he's trying to take. It's like, he's trying to put you in the action because I think action filmmaking now has taken kind of a, people are starting to prefer like the omniscient observer type of stuff where it's like, everything has to be clear, you know? And I think that has its own merits and stuff, which is fine, but- I think Rottenham's approach is totally different. He's just not staging action like, he's not staging action like Rajenuli, you know, that's the the basic thing, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, he's not going for that kind of omniscient observer thing, which, you know, some people might resonate with, some people might not, but I just, I think the second time I watched it, I was like, oh, like this interval sequence is quite, it's pretty well done, even though like, I don't know, I think in terms of its staging and blocking, in terms of like, it's larger, the way he has like the different parties meet and how he cuts between the lines of action, I thought it was pretty cool, yeah.
2: Yeah, the movement in those action scenes comes more from the cut than from camera movement or actor movement. But that also
1: lends an interesting kind of perspective to it. Mm -hmm. Do you, Thamai, know what Rutnam has his eyes on next? Do you know, like, once he's completed PS, like, both PSs, what's next for him?
0: So he confirmed confirmed he's doing a film with Kamal Hassan, who's, like, this kind of multi-hyphenate, actor out of the Tamil film industry. He Naygen, which is mm. which was his like big kind of film that came out in the eight, late 80s, I think, that was just like, kind of changed Tamil cinema, basically the grammar of Tamil cinema at the time. And uh, they're reuniting for the second time. So everyone's obviously like super excited. There's not a lot of details about it. Is it going to be historical? People don't know, but there's a speculation that it's going to be like a spy film because Ooh. uh because, uh, <laughs> because at the time, apparently when, when Rutnam was pitching, like when he wanted to work with Kamal, like he pitched two different scripts. The first one was a spy film and the other one was Nyagan, what ended up becoming Nyagan. So people are thinking that it's going to be, they're going to finally make that spy film oh, because Rutnam has also, <laughs> Rutnam has also like expressed interest in making a straight action movie. So like, you know, we'll see. What he comes up with, though, again, it might not be that. It might be something a little more interesting. I personally would want something a little more challenging than that. That's mm. just my perspective. Unless he comes with something interesting within that, but even if it's like a like a like a challenging spy film, I think I'm down. That seems cool.
1: <laughs> That's awesome. I can't. I really can't wait. Honestly, like after this, I feel like Rutnam is still like firing on all cylinders. So I just yeah. want to see how he operates with a story of a smaller scale and a story that is fully his own as well.
0: Oh yeah. Where he's not burdened by um,
1: like being like a source material.
0: Right. Right.
1: Yeah. And I just know that he has it in him to like hit many more out of the park. Like I just, I feel it. I feel it from this film. We should have to wait too long. <laughs>
0: it's it's going to be next year. We're going to be back pretty soon.
3: He's our most consistent deep cut filmmaker.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. It's, I mean, the, I, at least according to the announcement, that it's going to come out next year. So he could yeah. be like pre production <laughs> starting to shoot soon. Who knows?
1: This guy's mm-hmm. working, man. Except yeah. for Corey We've just not been consistent oh. with Corey oh. no, but Oh, with, with Broker? Bro Joker.
0: Yeah, it'll be yeah, cool to see that's... what he does. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what he'll do. It's kind of crazy because it's like, The dude's been working for 40 years. He made his first movie 40 years ago, I think as of this year. Um, And he's still, And he had his biggest commercial success with the PS films, right? Like, it's like, at what? He's almost 70 now, you know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, or is he? Yeah, he's like in his mid-60s, actually. But yeah, it's like, who can say that? Like, after this long, it's like, you know, a lot of people don't really last and are able to keep up, you know? And, um... Still, like, deliver stuff like this. It's, I think, in an interview, he was like, This is like the toughest project I've ever had to do. And I think to have the guts to be able to mount something like this in, in your 60s when you've had like multiple heart attacks trying to like make movies. <laughs> I don't know if you guys have heard of this, but he's like multiple times when trying to like on set, he's had heart attacks. Uh, it's, <laughs> um, it's crazy. Like, I think. Take uh, care of yourself. Oh, my God. I, I, he's, like, he hasn't had one in a long time, which is good. But, um, okay. but like, when he was making Ravanen, which I'm, I think Ben and Wilson, you both have seen, right? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, he had a heart attack while making that movie, which I get because it's like kind of crazy how <laughs> oh, that movie yeah. looks and everything.
3: I mean, jungle film, my God. <laughs> yeah.
2: Wait, oh, I, was gonna, God. I was gonna compare that to Martin Sheen having a heart attack on the set of Apocalypse Now.
0: Yeah. Stressful. There's something about the jungle film in the stuff. jungle shoot but jungle but i hope film. he you know knock on wood and, <laughs> and i hope he continues to like make amazing films for like for the foreseeable future and i feel like there's certain filmmakers and i feel like i've told this to you guys that i just like get so i get kind of defensive about <laughs> definitely is one of them but I, I don't know there's something about his there's just something about his, his mastery of the craft that's like so inspiring to me personally i don't know what it is and, and i've been trying to think about it like you know, in terms of the filmmakers that I kind of go towards, like, Rutland is, like, the one guy that I've always been, like, I have to go catch his next movie, 100%. Mm-hmm. And You know, and it's, like, I have to be there that weekend. Uh, and there's value to that. It's, like, in terms of, like, when there's a filmmaker that you're so drawn to that you want to be there that first weekend or whatever. And I guess even, I think artistically, right, like, there's the filmmakers that you admire, like, their craft and everything, but they don't really impact your art or whatever. But then, and then there's other filmmakers that you, you looked up to them as role models and, like, they impact very much how you how you consume other art and how you create your own art too um mm-hmm. that right. i think raptum is that guy for me which is like yeah strange because i only like discovered him while in college where other filmmakers i've known for a while and have been watching for a while so
2: yeah might, thank you so much for coming on again and sharing with us your perspective and deep connection to Mani Ratnam and his work, and talking about Pony and Salva Part Two with us today.
0: Yeah, thank you guys. I mean, I know we've all had our different perspectives on everything, but I'm, I'm sure <laughs> I've definitely convinced, I've definitely convinced you guys he's somebody to look out for. At least, of course, or, you know, oh for
1: uh, sure. Oh, my. <laughs> No question. I knew that years ago. <laughs> Thank
0: you. But yeah, always happy to talk and and again, like next time either, you know, either we're doing that Christopher Nolan Tenant episode?
1: Oh, I feel mm. like we might miss the
0: boat on that. We
1: we got to we got we got to rush on oh, that. Oh,
2: yeah, wait are we trying to hit Oppenheimer time. Oh, we could do that? a late Oppenheimer. We could do late half, second half of the year. That movie is not going to be as anti-nuclear as it thinks it is okay Eli- this I- is my i'm placing money down
1: <laughs> we don't know yet
0: we don't know yet we'll we
2: see we know the- from that trailer <laughs> explosions are cool bro <laughs> Bropenheimer.
0: okay i have to i have to actually watch the trailer i mean i yeah i have to
1: i haven't seen it as well
0: um or you have to bring me on where i get to be full-ass hater my. Because uh, I've definitely been hater than my to you, like, personally, but not on the podcast.
3: Uh,
0: it's a different level. And I think, you know, like I said, Trey Edward Schultz, need you can talk about burning one day. I'll, I'm happy to come on oh. uh, and talk about burning.
1: <laughs> I feel like we're more likely to do Lee Chang Dong than we are to do Trey Edward Schultz. Interesting.
0: Okay, bring me on for the burning. Mm, <laughs> I have things to say.
1: Oh. <laughs> Ooh, I want to hear that.
0: Oh, or don't. It's fine. Like, maybe, you know. Who else? Who else? (laughs) Yeah, give your hit list. (laughs) My hit list? Oh, God.
1: Well, we could have had you on for RRR. I think that would have been very interesting.
0: (laughs) See, the thing with RRR was, like, I think, you know, I listened to that podcast, and you guys basically covered everything I was going to say. So I I feel like you guys did a great job with that, like, just covering the kind of the the political stuff and everything. So there's really not much I could have added to, frankly, saying, but... uh, what are my, who's my hit list? I, I don't know. To my, in my mind, I've, <laughs> my, right now it's like, you know, I think that I've come on and I've like said so many great things about all the movies we've talked about that we've been on together. I'm like, I got to hate at least once on this podcast. I got to hate here on
1: my. We got to give you the chance to hate. Yes. What if we did an Oppenheimer Barbie double episode? Not like double episode, just like an episode where we talk about oh. both movies. <laughs> Say which one's better.
0: <laughs> oh yeah.
3: This is such a weird episode, but okay. That would be wow. cool. I
0: mean, I, I'm I've already planned like a double feature with friends, so I'm seeing it the same day like, already. We planned it a year out, so <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> so it's you know it's on the horizon. We you know it's possible.
2: Wait, Danmai, you, you do not like Luca Guanagnino, right?
0: Oh, uh, God. Oh, yeah. I don't like him at all. Yeah, I think he's not. Good.
2: <laughs> that could be an interesting episode.
0: Eli,
1: you're just like getting him on your side. <laughs> I'm
2: trying to stoke the flames.
0: <laughs> I know wow. that the Suspiria, potential Suspiria episode is going to be Eli's like, <laughs> dude, we'll see a side of Eli we've never seen. We're truly like <laughs> hater, elite hater, hater Eli. Which I'm very excited about that if that ever happens. <laughs> but yeah, now I have to kind of rack my brain, but like right now, what's coming to mind is Trey Edward Schultz and, and Bernie. I can't speak to any of Lee Chang Dong's other stuff because I haven't seen it, but. Yeah,
1: he's an interesting filmmaker. He really treads the line.
0: Or if we talk about uh, Sam Levinson, if we talk about Sam Levinson, I'm down.
1: <laughs> oh God, <laughs> I don't want to fucking talk about Sam Levinson. <laughs> man.
0: He's not worth the air- airspace at all. He's not worth no, the no time on the air. For oh, no. Yeah, people need
1: to stop giving that man fucking money. People need to stop. But he is a co-writer
2: on Deep Water. <laughs> oh, great certified know. great movie, Deep Water.
0: Deep Water good. I've I watched it like i was just yes like, I, I like deep water it's 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 trashy it's like so trashy yes but it's fine it's good but it
2: knows what it is it, and knows, it knows what it is, is yeah. a lot smarter than it lets on yeah
0: well it's adrian lane i think adrian lane he like did all those like erotic thrillers from the 90s right? yeah it's yeah like, he did it's like it's just that but like bad but also good like
1: oh. <laughs> eli's so happy right
3: now oh my god he's been looking yeah. for someone to get in the water with him yeah <laughs> yeah
0: yeah no it's
2: it's come on in the water's fine
0: it's uh it's good it's it's like it, you know hulu great hulu film to watch yeah. yeah
2: don't you know
3: hulu film like that's a thing like,
0: that's
3: a, the kind of film like, it's, a yeah. genre. it's a genre <laughs> uh,
0: yeah oh,
1: okay should we close it out
2: let's do it <laughs>
1: Thank you
3: for listening to this episode of Deep Cut. Please rate and review because that helps us keep making the show. Be sure to subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts so you'll know when our next episode drops. And you can keep up with Deep Cut on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Letterboxd at DeepCutPod. And you can also join us to talk about movies on our Discord server to which you'll find a link in the description. And thank you to Justina Yan for our beautiful artwork. I'm Wilson. I'm Ben. I'm Eli. And I'm Thang Mai. Take care and we're looking forward to
2: talking about more movies with you next time. This one, however, did not have the bop that is. Nandini versus Kundavai from the first one.
1: (laughs) The banger.